So our focus for this morning, as well as for the next couple of weeks, is on the topic of wisdom. Uh, Wisdom is a trait that is desired by many, it is displayed by some, and it is even dreaded by others. Uh, The book of Proverbs, which is probably the most well-known book in our Bible that speaks of wisdom, it personifies wisdom as a woman who offers much to anyone who will heed her call. She offers guidance to the young, protection for the naive, enduring wealth and prosperity for her followers. She offers a better life for anyone who would listen to her. And while that might sound amazing for a lot of us, I don't know if you know it or not, but everybody does not value wisdom's call. To the fool, she exposes folly. To the fool, she exposes poor decisions and missed opportunities. Wisdom accentuates what could have been by pinpointing why it never was, foolishness and sin. She doesn't mix her words. She doesn't operate in the shadows, and she definitely does not hide in the gray areas. Rather, she is very objective in the the truths that she gives. She is also very clear and Many of us have recognized she's also very convicting. Uh, Foolish people do not like wisdom. Uh, To the young and to the inexperienced, wisdom's call often does not sound very urgent. Uh, When people are young, many times they're thinking, I just want to experience the world. I want to see what is out there. I want to live life. And many times younger people are testing boundaries and they're, they're seeing what this world has to offer. And for those who are maybe in their upper 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond, that's usually the crowd who is screaming out saying, it's not worth it. We've tried that route. It it was not helpful. It was not good. Many times, those who are a little bit older are looking back saying, I only wish I would have pursued wisdom at an earlier age. Life would have been different. Now, you all know as well as I do, as much as you might want to encourage someone and warn them about the issues of wisdom and foolishness, that person has to hear and heed the call for themselves. Now, to those who are maybe even a little bit older, they've lived some life, they've seen the results of skillful living, many times wisdom is like a really good friend. Wisdom was the one who told you what you did not want to hear but you needed to hear. Wisdom was the one who was there in the good times and the bad times. Wisdom was encouraging you to do what was right when everybody else was saying, do something else. And when you chose foolishly, wisdom was simply sitting there saying, there's a better path this direction. I don't know if you've noticed it, but the older you get, the more you appreciate wisdom. Sometimes the older you get, the more you look out at wisdom and you're thinking, wisdom protected me when I didn't even know I needed protection. Okay, our position determines our perspective. Now today, as we move forward in our study of James, we're in chapter number three, and we are stopped with what I'm only gonna call a big question. I put it right in the top of your notes, big question. Here's the question that James brings out in verse number 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Who among you is wise and understanding? It's almost like he's saying, just take a moment and evaluate. Think about those in your circle of influence. Think about those you hang out with. 
Who among you is wise and understanding? Mentally start processing friends and family members and church members and mentors and teachers and and those who are neighbors and coworkers. Start, Start going through it. Who among you is wise and understanding? Does that describe you? What are the names that are beginning to pop into your mind? Who among you is wise and understand? Or here's maybe a more telling piece. Is no one coming to mind? You're like going through your things list, and you're like, nope, 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 not even close, really no. Like, like what does it say when you ask the question, who among you is wise and understanding, and you're not having any names come to mind? How you define wise and understanding may be a part of the reason there's not a lot of names coming to mind. So let's give the benefit of the doubt here. So when we talk about wise and understanding, is that talking about someone who seems to know all the answers and they just really get you? Kind of like, this is my friend Larry. He's really, really smart. We've been through some ups and downs together and Larry just gets me. He is wise and understanding. Is that what it's talking about? Or is it talking about people who maybe... They just know a lot of stuff about the Bible, and they claim to have understanding. There's a lot of those up in the church. I mean, there's people who have found stuff in the Bible nobody else has found in 2,000 years. I mean, they know the meaning behind the nuance that connected to the symbolism that pinpointed to the identity of the three-headed beast in the book of Revelation chapter 27. And you're like, Paul, there's only 22 chapters in Revelation. I know. That's what I'm saying. They know stuff. Like, they know stuff. Even John didn't know he wrote 27 chapters. Like, is that what it's talking about? People who just have a lot of Bible knowledge, and they claim to have a lot of understanding. Starting today, we're going to unpack this idea of wise and understanding. We're also going to see how all wisdom is not from the same source. There's earthly wisdom. There's heavenly wisdom. Both call people. Both claim to help you skillfully navigate life. Both make great promises. But the proof of true wisdom is seen in the fruit of a godly life. In other words, when you pay attention, when you heed the call, when you follow those instructions, what does it bring? Where does it lead? Who does it honor? And how does it lead to a life that God blesses? Maybe think of it like this. If the fruit is bad, the source is wrong. Where's the source of our wisdom? How do we distinguish between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom? Is it possible that maybe we've mixed a little bit of both into our life? Is it possible that maybe because we've mixed in some godly wisdom, there's areas of our life that are strong and secure and stable, And then because we've accepted worldly wisdom, there's parts of our life that are a hot mess and it's falling apart. Is it possible that we've brought some of both into our life? And if so, how do you discern between them? And is there a way to recognize the source of wisdom before you heed her call? Oh, yes, there is. Did you all know the Bible contains all the answers we need? That's why we study the word week after week, day by day. I invite you to go with me today in your Bibles, James chapter number three. James three, we're in verses 13 through 18. I'm gonna read the entire text this morning, but I am only focused for the most part today on verse number 13. 
But the entire text is what we're going to be exploring. The whole thing is about wisdom. I'm speaking this morning on the subject of displayed wisdom. Here's what the text says, starting in verse number 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Father, would your spirit guide us today, God? Help us to discern clearly between worldly wisdom and your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we are not only reintroducing the topic of wisdom in our study of James, but we're also establishing some key definitions, some key truths that are needed to understand demonic versus divine wisdom that is mentioned in verses 14 through 18. Now, for us to get all of this, I'm going to give you two big truths. Our main emphasis today is going to be on the first one, but you need to see both of them together because both come out of this package. So here's the first. Big truth one. When asserting wisdom, our claims are evaluated by our conduct. When asserting wisdom. In other words, for the person who says, I'm wise, he says, who among you is wise and understanding? When asserting our wisdom, our claims are going to be evaluated by our conduct. We're going to see that today in verse number 13. But big truth number two, when pursuing wisdom, our course is determined by our source. Think of it like this. The course of your life, where you are going, as you're pursuing wisdom, that course is going to be determined by the source of the wisdom itself. Is it demonic or is it divine? Is it from above or is it from below? The course is going to be set by the source. Now, here's our goal for today. Our goal is simply to find where we might be on the spectrum of wisdom. So if you think about wisdom being a spectrum, on one side it's complete foolishness, the other side is complete godly wisdom. A part of our goal today is to say, where are we at? What parts of our life are we walking in godly wisdom and where are we walking in foolishness or walking according to the wisdom of this world? So that's a part of this. But a second part is to begin identify the areas that are not godly wisdom so it can be rejected so that we can walk in the fullness of what God has for us. So there's a lot that we are going to cover today, but we're going to do this by setting up wisdom from the whole of Scripture. What is it? Why is it necessary? Where does it come from? We need to see wisdom from the big picture, and then we're going to hone down into the specifics that are found in verse number 13. So here's some pieces from the whole. In both the Old and New Testament, we are encouraged to pursue wisdom. You find this on both parts of the covenant. In the Old Testament, the word wisdom or wise, it appears over 300 times. In the New Testament, those same words appear over 200 times. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, Solomon wrote and said, Acquire wisdom 
And with all of your acquiring, get understanding. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, the apostle Paul chimes right in. And he says in that text, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. On both sides of the covenant, it's pursue wisdom, get wisdom, acquire wisdom. The Hebrew people, as well as the early believers, understood that true wisdom is going to be from God, and it's not just intellectual, it's also going to be behavioral. Wisdom is not only about gaining factual knowledge, but effectively applying that knowledge in everyday life. Here's another piece. In both the Old and New Testament, God is the source of wisdom. Very clear, he's the source Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 reminds us, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. James chapter 1, verse 5, we've already studied this part in our, in our study of James. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously and without reproach. In both sections, it's saying, if you want wisdom, God is the source. Go to God. He's the source. So for New Testament believers, there's another little twist on this. Not only is God the source, we realize that, but if you're pursuing wisdom, not only can you go to God's word, this is his revealed word to us, but according to what we find in scripture, Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. So, so many times I say, our place, what we're called to do is to be with God relationally and he will live his life in and through us. Okay, it, it's about this overflow living. So it's not that I'm going to either pursue wisdom or Jesus. It is as you are pursuing Jesus, you are pursuing wisdom. Let me give you a couple of texts on that. According to what we find, speaking of Jesus, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, the apostle Paul said, he became to us wisdom from God. And then he reminded the church of Colossae that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, if you pursue him, if you abide in Christ, he lives wisdom through you. Here's another piece. In both the Old and New Testament, worldly wisdom and godly wisdom are mentioned. This is not just a situation that comes out in the book of James, but rather it's mentioned in both the Old as well as the New Testament. There is wisdom from above and there is wisdom from below. And it is possible for good, God-fearing people to step off the path of godly wisdom and onto the path of worldly wisdom. Let me give you probably one of the scariest but best examples you're going to find in Scripture. His name's Solomon. Solomon, the guy who is credited with writing the bulk of the book of Proverbs, no question about it that God blessed him with unbelievable wisdom from above. But that same guy, Solomon, also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And when you write, read the book of Ecclesiastes, the, the tone is negative and it's pessimistic. In fact, when you're reading Ecclesiastes, there's a reason for that tone. And it's because he is warning future generations about not pursuing life apart from God. So in Ecclesiastes, he speaks of those who pursue knowledge and experience and wisdom within this world. He said in chapter 2, verse 10 of Ecclesiastes, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. 
I refuse my heart no pleasure. And then he goes on in chapter 2 to tell us the reason for his motivation was all about self. He references my mind, my body, my heart, my ideas, myself. He became the center of his own world, indulging every sinful and selfish desire. And he discovered what we all do, self is never satisfied. The more you feed it, the more it wants. The more you pour in, the more it demands. Self is never satisfied. And so in the book of Ecclesiastes, this unbelievably wise man, the wisest man who ever lived apart from Jesus, he speaks about the fact that apart from God, life is folly and useless and senseless and frustrating and futile. You all don't get this one yet. Let, let, me, give you, let me give you a little bit more. Here, here's what he said, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, 16 through 18. Listen to his words. Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind. This is an intentional act of Solomon. I set my mind to know wisdom, and listen to this, and to know madness and folly. In other words, he was like, I just wanted to learn as much as I could. I wanted to understand, I wanted to, to process what is madness, what is folly. He's like, I set my mind to understand all of these things. And then he goes on to say, and I realized that this also was striving after the wind because in much wisdom there is much grief and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. He's saying, if you just set your sights on knowledge and wisdom and understanding, and you don't care about the source behind it, he said, be careful because there's pain coming in your path. There's problems coming down your path. The world's wisdom is not only bankrupt, it's painful. See, now he comes to the end of Ecclesiastes. After he's saying, pursuing this is vanity, doing this is useless. If you try this, it's not worth it. He gets all the way to chapter 12, verse 1. In this beautiful moment, he says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. In other words, now's the time to remember this. Don't keep going down this particular path. So James picks up this same idea of two types of wisdom, worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. He picks it up and he says, not only are Christians to know the difference between the two, but we are to reject the one and we are to bring in and apply the other. Now let's pause here for just a moment. Up until this point in chapter three, he has been focused on source, source, source. It's a source motif. He's talked about the fact that our words have a source. Do you remember where the source is? It's the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He was like, if there's a problem with your words, there's an issue with the heart. So now in verses 13 through 18, G James focuses on our claims of wisdom and the source of that wisdom. He's saying, is it from God or is it of this world? That's what he's getting at in this text. Now that we have an overview of wisdom, let's hone in on exactly what it's saying about those who are wise and understanding in verse number 13. Who is wise 
and understanding among you. What do those words mean? The word wise refers to the speculative knowledge, theory, or philosophy. That's what the word is about. For the Jews, it carried a deeper meaning of careful application of that knowledge in personal, everyday life. The word here for understanding, it speaks of a specialized knowledge, that of a highly skilled tradesman or professional. So put those pieces together. James is wanting to find out, is there anyone among you who not only has knowledge of righteousness, but has a skill in living righteously? When you look around you, who is skilled in righteous living? That's what he is calling out in this text. Now, somebody might say, that's me. He's talking to me. Who is wise and understanding? James, I'm right here. I appreciate you asking that question. In fact, many times we think it's us because we look at our skills, we look at our understanding, we look at our ideas, and we're like, you know, I've been in church for 20 years, I've read, you know, parts of 16 of the 66 books in the Bible, and, and I understand some stuff. And Like back in fourth grade, I got the citizenship award over at Aren't You a Cutie Elementary School? Like, he's talking to me, like, I'm wise and understanding. Now, yes, I'm being a little bit facetious there, but did you know that's not too far off the mark? Some people truly believe it. The reason is there's a difference between someone lying and someone being self-deceived. Lying is when you say something false even though you know what is true. Self-deception is when you say what is false even, here it is, when you think it is true. There's a difference between the two. So when it comes to assessing wisdom and understanding, we fall into that category all the time. We think we're better off than what we really are. Humanity struggles with self-deception. Did you know there's not a lot of self-professing fools? <laughs> if the question were, who were foolish and stupid among you, there would not be a lot of hands going up. Now, there might be a lot of fingers going out, like, I got one over there and one over here. Like, there's not a lot of self-professing fools. But there is no lack of people who think they're more mature, more knowledgeable, more wise than what they really are. Did you know Scripture is filled with text after text challenging self-deception of people? For example, we've already covered a couple of these. James chapter 1, verse 22, he warned about deluding ourselves by being hearers of the word and not doers. He's like, don't, don't fool yourself if you think that you're an actual doer, but you're just listening to it. He also says in chapter 1, verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, here it is. He deceives his own heart. This man's religion is worthless. Did you know we can deceive our own heart? We can delude ourselves. We can think we are up here spiritually when the reality is we're here spiritually. And it's not that James is the only biblical writer to mention those things. Did you know that Jeremiah, Isaiah, Obadiah all point to delusions of the heart? The entire church of Laodicea 
is called out for being self-deceived and they overestimated their maturity and their spiritual condition. Revelation chapter three, verse 17. Proverbs three, verse seven, it says, do not be wise in your own eyes. In other words, don't let your delusions of wisdom keep you from listening to what God is telling you. There is a wisdom from God and there's a wisdom of this world. Here's my point. Humanity struggles with self-deception. Now, it's not just one or two of us. We struggle. It's a, it's a part of our fallen condition. So how do we know if we're wise and understanding? How do we know we're not just fooling ourselves? The second half of verse 13 answers the question. He says, let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. James is like, if you claim to be wise, show me. Let me see it. It's going to happen in your life. It's going to happen in your conduct. If somebody is saying, I'm wise, it will be shown, it will be revealed, it will be seen, it will be displayed. That's the reason this sermon message title is displayed uh, faith. It's speaking of the fact that if you say you're wise, what does that look like? He's like, it's going to be seen. He's, and by the way, let him show is a command. It's not like if you, if you want to, he's like, if you're going to say it, I command you, show it in your life. Just like with faith from chapter 2, verse 17, wisdom and understanding are not demonstrated. If they're not demonstrated in a godly life, they have no spiritual value. Doesn't matter what we say, as the old saying goes, the proof is in the pudding. Let me see it in your life. Now, what does that look like? Because it's kind of like, that's a really big topic, so he narrows it down for us. There's three characteristics of those who their life is being walked out in wisdom and understanding. That is good behavior, good deeds, and an attitude of gentleness. Good behavior, good deeds, and an attitude of gentleness. Those who claim to be wise and understanding, it's going to be seen in their good behavior. It's going to be seen in their exemplary lifestyle. It's, it's going to be apparent. They will have good deeds that they can show. Not just good intentions, good deeds. Not like, hey, this is what I want to do or this is what I plan to do. But when somebody asks the question, they can say, these are the deeds. This is what I'm doing. There's going to be good deeds that go with it. And there's going to be an attitude of gentleness when it comes to others. Did you know this same word for gentle is also translated as meekness? It's one of the character qualities that's a part of the fruit of the Spirit, in fact, did you know that this is a character quality that is supposed to be a part of every believer's life being a part of the kingdom of God? Jesus calls it out over in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. He says, blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. He uses that as a, a word for himself, a character quality of himself, saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. The closer we walk with Christ, the longer we walk with Christ, the more gentle, the more meek, the more loving we should be to others. There's not a question mark behind that. It's just 
It's there. It's a part of him living his life through us. This is one of those things that if we understand what he's saying, it should change every interaction we have with people. When our first immediate response is anger, frustration, lash out, get back, it should pause us in the moment and say, no, that's not what Jesus would do here. He's gentle and humble in heart. The path of wisdom, if I'm wise and if I'm understanding, it's going to be in this moment I'm going to respond in a different way. He's going to respond differently through us. The more we take on Christ's yoke, his teachings, his character, the more gentle we become. Now, I also want to say, it does not mean we no longer have convictions. Doesn't mean we no longer take stands. It doesn't mean that we're no longer hurt. Doesn't mean that that we just sit off to the side and just let everything go. It just means we respond in a way that represents Christ. If you respond in a way that afterwards you could not share the gospel with deep clarity and conviction, you responded wrong in that moment. If afterwards you don't even want to let the person know you're a Christian, you definitely don't want to share the gospel with them because you're like, I don't have any basis to do this in, you know you responded wrong in that moment. So we got two big truths. Truth number one, when asserting wisdom, our claims are evaluated by our conduct. If we claim to be wise, he's like, it's going to be shown in your life. And there's going to be some pieces of that. It's going to be seen in our good behavior and our good deeds as well as in an attitude of gentleness. Now, I've given you the next truth because I want to let that one marinate in your spirit over this next week. When pursuing wisdom, our course is determined by the source. To get everybody mentally prepared for where we're going to go. And by the way, I want you to get mentally prepared for where we're going to go tonight in our night of worldview. Because you're going to hear a difference between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom tonight. So if somebody is saying, is worldly wisdom that bad? Remember, it was in the world's wisdom that not only they rejected God, they continued to reject God. Listen to what Scripture says, 1 Corinthians 1.18. The message about the cross is foolishness to those who were perishing. As the world continues to reject God, even our increases in knowledge only magnify our problems. We need to know the difference between God's wisdom and the world's wisdom. Now, I'm going to give you some homework. Between now and next week, I want to encourage you, read the first two chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2. And I want you to write out what it says about the world's wisdom and about God's wisdom. Let me give you a starter place on this. According to what you'll find there, man's wisdom is foolishness to God, chapter 1, verse 20. And God's wisdom is foolishness to man, chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 14. Man's wisdom comes from reason. God's wisdom comes from revelation. And it's two different things. Man's wisdom will come to nothing. God's wisdom endures forever. Journal the differences between the two. Write it out and then ask God, would you show me areas in my life right now 
where I have embraced the world's wisdom and I don't even know it yet. How horrible would it be to to be a believer, to, to be walking with the Lord and recognize the fact there's a part of our life that is being destroyed and being hurt and there's problems, not because he's not given us a better way, but because we embrace something that was not from him. I'm gonna ask you if you would to bow with me for prayer for just a moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. As we finish out this morning's message, this is setting up for the next couple of weeks. But the only way we are going to be able to clearly discern in the next couple of weeks between demonic wisdom and divine wisdom is because we are, we're willing to do the hard work right now We're willing to say, God, search my heart. Show me where I might be. Are there any parts of who I am that I'm walking in areas of worldly wisdom? So I want to encourage you, take the next few moments. Our our praise team is coming together. The band's getting back on the stage. There's going to be some of the pastors and their wives at the front. There's going to be counselors that will be up at the front. It might be that today already you've recognized there's parts of the world's wisdom that you've embraced and it's causing pain in your life. And maybe today is that day that you're simply saying, God, I acknowledge that. I submit before you. Would you graciously help me to have them removed? And would you put your wisdom into my life? It might be at this point right now that you're saying, I don't I don't even know where to begin. Like, this is my first time of walking into a church in years, and I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand what you're asking, but I know i got some problems in my life, and I'd love to talk to somebody about it. There are pastors and pastors' wives who are here right now that would love to be able to talk with you. Some of you just might need some time in prayer, maybe at your seat, maybe at the altar. I'm not sure of where you are processing things with God. I simply encourage you, take the right step with him. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we recognize that you alone are the one who gives true wisdom. So God, today, if there's any part of our life that we have embraced that is not of you, if there's any philosophy, if there's any thoughts that we have embraced that are bringing trouble and problems and destruction and instability into our life right now, Lord, may it be laid at your cross at this moment, God. May we not try to defend it. May we not try to hold on to it, but God, may it be laid down before you. We pray that we would walk in wisdom and that we would see the fruit of that more and more each day, each moment, each decision. God, we need you to do what only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing a final song? The altar is open. I just ask that you respond as the Spirit of God leads you.